0: Well, thank you. Uh, as Brett mentioned, uh, my name is Chris Beatty, and uh, I'm going to be with you guys tonight. This is the second time I've uh, taught, and uh, it was a lot less nerve wracking to get ready for this. So that was nice. Um, so, one of the things that's been interesting uh, about doing these—I'd say series, but it's really not a series—I do it once every six months or so—is um, it, it's just such an interesting and fascinating way to get into the Bible, and uh, whether or not you guys learn something, and I hope you do tonight. Um, just been wonderful for me personally, and I uh, hope to bring that out and share that with you guys. And um, so here we go. Well, uh, my original sermon idea was to talk about how to pray, and I wanted to walk through with you guys how Christ taught his disciples how to pray. But as I started mentally preparing, this thought struck me. Who is it that we're praying to? After all, there are numerous religions out there, and all of them seem to involve prayer. Muslims make a point to pray five times a day. The Jewish faith prays three times a day. Catholics pray to multiple different patron saints, depending on the type of burden on their heart. But who do we as Christians pray to? Now I'm assuming that we all pray in the first place. And I will freely admit to you all that I am terribly inconsistent. And I can rattle off all the excuses in the world for why I forget to do it. I don't have time in the mornings. I'm too busy taking cures. of taking care of the meals that day, and I I just don't have time to get to it. The kids won't give me any time to myself to get away and pray. And at the end of the day, after a long day with the family, I'm beat. And the last thing I feel like doing is coming to God in prayer. And I tell you all of this because I stand before you feeling wholly inadequate to serve as any kind of an authority figure on prayer. But I testify before you all that I've seen the power of prayer. And I know what it is capable of. And thankfully, I don't have to be the example or role model of what prayer looks like. Because God is. And he shows us everything that we need in the Bible. So, what we're going to do tonight is talk about prayer. And specifically, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We believe in one God, and he is three distinct persons. For those of you who participated in last month's VBS, this should sound very familiar. Caleb, who was my oldest, when I asked him what he had learned at school that day, he would tell me, Daddy, Daddy, one God, three persons. Yes. <laughs> three persons. <laughs> he doesn't have a huge vocabulary to pull from at this point, so it just melted my heart to hear him say this when I asked him what he learned. But the fact that he is triune should shape our Christian lives, and it should drive how we pray. It doesn't make our prayer life any more complicated, but it should show us what we are doing when we pray. So let's pop open the hood on this and explain what it is that we're doing when we uh, go to God in prayer. C.S. Lewis had this to say about prayer. Prayer is irksome. An excuse to omit prayer is never unwelcome. When it is over, it casts a sense of relief. We are reluctant to begin and we are delighted to finish. He likely speaks for many of us regarding our prayer lives. I think we can all kind of relate to what it is that he's saying there. On occasion, I'll try and develop a system or technique or implement a schedule to improve my prayer life. But the New Testament doesn't talk about any system or technique. What it does tell us is about God. Because prayer is defined not by what we do, but by who God is. Prayer is the natural response to who God is. So if we need help with our prayer lives, it is best to be reminded of who it is that we are praying to. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Ephesians 2. Uh, We're going to start here and use this as a springboard for everything else tonight. While you're turning, if you want, feel free to put a finger or marker in Romans 8. We're also going to be there quite quite a bit as well. Ephesians was written as a letter of encouragement and admonition to remind believers of the immeasurable blessings in Jesus Christ that we as believers have. So we're going to start off. Ephesians 2.18. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So what Paul is telling us is that because of Christ, through the Holy Spirit, we have access to the Father. And that is how our entire Christian life is to be lived. By the Spirit, through the Son, to the Holy Spirit. And that's going to be the framework for everything and how we think about our prayer tonight. So our prayer is by the Spirit. It's through the Son, and it's to the Father. How is it by the Spirit? No prayer is done apart from the Spirit. Romans 8.15. Sorry, I didn't give you a heads up on turning there. Romans Romans 8.15. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now, we call him Abba, Father. So first, Paul shows us what the spirit is not, and then he shows us what it is. We have not received a spirit of slavery, but one of adoption. And so it is through the Holy Spirit that we have a sense that God has adopted us. Which is amazing if you think about it, right? Being pardoned in and of itself is wonderful in its own right. But we haven't just been pardoned as sinners. We've been adopted as sons. And friends, we need to know that. Because to be a child of God means access. We can be pardoned by the president for our sins, can we not? But that action does not suddenly give us access or a relationship to him. We can't simply ring the door at the white, doorbell at the White House and show up for dinner and expect to be invited in. Only people who merit his time and attention are invited in. They must have credentials and accomplishments, perhaps even a power base of their own. But if you're one of his children, if you're one of his children, it's a different story altogether, is it not? And the difference is that I want you all to see is that we have been adopted. Now, when you think of Abba, some of you might think of some Swedish 70s band. Perhaps some of you guys are right now reminiscing about a play or movie, Mamma Mia, that used so many of their songs. But the word Abba here is intimate. It's how Jewish children refer to their daddy. It is easy to pronounce, somewhat like our terms daddy or papa. So when we see the word here, we should think about that, and that this is how Jesus referred to his father. And if you read it again, when Jesus prays, he uses that word Abba, father, And he gives us permission to be able to pray with that same intimacy. Better yet, he encourages it. If you could flip back over to Ephesians. Ephesians 2.16. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Paul is saying two things here. By the spirit, we are able to cry, Abba, Father. Through the spirit, our own soul is assured that we are children of God. And I think that those two things go together. It is through the Spirit that our spirit cries out to God. He is testifying that it is right to cry out to the Father in this way. And that means that prayer is a means of assurance. Sorry, flip back over to Romans 8. Last bit of flipping. Romans 8.23. And we believers groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering, we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children. Now groaning doesn't sound fun or pleasant, does it? But then it says that we're also to wait eagerly. Groaning and waiting eagerly are somehow not exclusive or apart from each other. So we're waiting then for our new bodies, because we're not fully there yet. It's almost like we're running new creation software on old creation hardware. And we wonder what we have in Christ. And at the same time, we yearn for what it is that we still await. And so that is why we groan, and also wait with great great eagerness. And because we live in that tension between what we have and what we wait for, we need the Spirit's help. Romans 8.26, hopefully on the same page. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. Isn't that both interesting and comforting? So many times we'll hear something, we don't even know how to start praying for that. We don't even know where to begin. When you encounter a friend or a familiar face that receives some terrible news about their health, for example, how do you pray? Do you pray for deliverance from their circumstance? Or do you pray for endurance through their circumstance? Do you pray for both? Or should you pray for something else entirely? When you see something horrific on the news channel, do you sit back and say to yourself, I don't even know where to start praying for this? Interestingly, my wife and I have hit a season in our lives where we are experiencing a decent amount of turmoil at work. And we're wrestling with this concept Without going into detail, I'm at the beginning stages of feeling the fallout from someone else's bad decision. And it has been emotionally challenging thus far, to say the least. But we're taking comfort in James 1, 2 through 4, where it says, "'Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trial of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything.'" And so we're praying through this situation in a major way right now. And while I'm not going to tell you that I'm not worried about it, because I am, a little part of me is anxious to see what God is going to do through this situation in my own life. But Paul says that the Spirit intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. So as we are trying to pray to the Father in our confused state, the Spirit is actually going before us and praying for us. Isn't that encouraging? He doesn't take over us, take over for us and tell us to be quiet. He doesn't say, "Chris, you know you're pretty hopeless. I'll take it from here." No, he comes alongside us and he prays with us and he prays for us. It's almost a bit like a dad teaching a son how to get a golf hit a golf ball. I'm going to pretend like I'm hitting a golf ball here. He doesn't stand off to the side and tell the son, "Son, watch. Watch what I do. Take notes and then repeat it." No, the dad will come alongside the son and he'll grab his hands, and he'll take it. And together they take the swing, and they go back, and they hit it. And it's impossible to say who took the swing. And it's also impossible to say who hit the golf ball, because they both hit the golf ball. And as we pray in our weakness, the Spirit comes alongside us, and he prays with us, and he prays for us. And so he says again in Romans 8.27, And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. So through the Spirit, our prayers are presented to the Father in accordance to his will. So all prayers by the Spirit. We are prompted to call God by the Spirit. And so therefore, God is involved in both ends of the prayer. C.S. Lewis describes it as almost like a, a divine soliloquy. God is speaking to himself through us. But it does remind us that God prays for, with us, as we pray to him. And then if that is the case, then no prayer is ever wasted. For if if prayer is by the Spirit, and prompted by him, and helped by him, then it means that we never, ever, simply just pray. In fact, if you want to have fun with some believers, ask them if they have a moment to pray. Ask them, would this be a good time to pray? Because simply put, there's never a bad time to pray. It's always done by the Spirit and led by the Spirit. Secondly, second thought, we pray through the Son. We pray by the Holy Spirit and we pray through the Son. The most amazing, the most beautiful, the most exquisite relationship that this universe has ever seen is the one between the Father and the Son. I'm going to reference a few verses in the New Testament here that highlight this very intimate relationship. I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Jesus wants the whole world to know that he loves the Father. Another time he says the Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. And the Father himself said this at Christ's baptism. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. And the reason that this is important is because this intimate relationship opens the Father to us. To give us the kind of relationship that he has enjoyed for all of eternity. Flip to John 17 if you would. You can uh, take out any markers you might have had in Ephesians or Romans right now. Romans 17, or John 17, this whole chapter is a prayer, and we get to eavesdrop on this intercommunication between the Father and the Son. It's kind of like watching the bonus features on one of your favorite DVDs. So John seventeen twenty two, I have given them the glory you gave me, so they may be as one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. If you skip down to verse 26, I have revealed you to them and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them and I will be in them. So what he's saying is that we can bask in the same love that the father bestows upon the son. I was trying to come up with a personal example from my own life to help illustrate this. My dad has since retired from the fire department department but before he did he held the rank battalion chief for several years his life consisted of meetings and friendships with several of the people in the upper ranks of our job and when i was 25 i got hired with the same department as he did so <clears throat> i would occasionally find myself running into or meeting on incidents several high-ranking officers and they would smile at me and acknowledge me and say hello Now, this is not a common occurrence, though maybe you think it should be. It's not. But I was able to come in at their social level because of their relationship with my father. And I was given a level of courtesy and respect that most other rookies are never afforded. And that happened for no other reason but that I shared a last name with someone with whom they knew and liked. And so, friends, Jesus is showing us in John that when we come to the Father through the Son— we come in at the son's level. Jesus says that the world may know that you sent me and love them as you love me. When we come to the father through the son, we aren't coming in at some bottom rung rookie level. We're coming in at Jesus's level, the very top rung. And I don't know about you, but there's not a day that goes by where I couldn't stand to be reminded of this, where I don't need to get that information into the deepest parts of my soul. And that knowledge should make a huge difference in our prayer lives. Because prayer is not me trying to come up with or drum up a rapport with God. It's not me trying to break the ice with some God that I don't know very well. And it's not me trying to get a good vibe going. No, the fact is that there's been a beautiful rapport going on between the Father and Son for all of eternity. And we are invited to join in. We're not trying to create some dynamic between us and him. We are joining in the perfect dynamic that has existed for all of eternity. It's like going to a party and realizing that it's been going on well before we ever got there. And so that is why we pray in the name of Jesus. It's not a magic formula or a secret password. No, we pray in the name of Jesus as a reminder that we do not come to the Father in our own name. Because otherwise we might be tempted to do so. And so we need to remind ourselves... So we are not coming on the basis of our own spiritual performance. We're coming on the basis of what Christ has done. Not of who I am, but of who I am in him. And friends, I need to know that because I might have a terrible day. I might sleep in and I'd be, be late to work. I don't have time to spend with the Lord in prayer or reading. I get in the car and every other motorist is my sworn enemy. When I finally get to work, I'm unpleasant with everyone around me. I succumb to temptation and I give in to sin. I get home and I scowl at the kids for having the nerve to want to play with me. And after a day like that, I don't feel like I can come to God in my own name. And that's because I'm trying to come to him in my own name. But the flip side is just as true as well. I may wake up early and go straight into the word. I can read a whole testament before breakfast and I'm loving it and I'm lapping it up. I get in the car, and I'm inclined to go the speed limit that day, and I let every mo- all the motorists in in front of me. I get to work, and I'm a ray of sunshine. I'm able to share my faith with somebody around me. I experience temptation, and I resist. And at the end of the day, there's every bit as big a danger that I might try and come to God in my own name. Because, of course, today I was good. Boy, is he going to love it when I come and knock on the door. Folks, we can never come in our own name. We come to the Father not by the sweat of our brow, but by the blood of the Son. And because we do so, we can come. So we pray through the Son, and in that precious, sweet name of Jesus. And then finally, we pray to the Father. By the Spirit, through the Son, to the Father. Turn, if you would, to uh, Matthew 7. If you recall, Jesus, when asked by the disciples about how to pray, he started out with our Father. That doesn't mean that we can't pray to the Spirit. He is every bit as divine as the Father and the Son. And it doesn't mean that we can't pray to Jesus. There are examples in the New Testament of people praying directly to Jesus. So he's not saying that we pray only to the Father, but I think he is saying that we pray mainly to the Father. That is the model of prayer that Jesus gives us. And he shows us the kind of prayer that we pray to him. And why we can pray to this kind of a father. Now I realize that when we are talking about fathers, it's hard not to view him through the lens of our own human fathers. As we have experienced them. And therefore we're on tender ground. There are some of you who may have never known their fathers. There may be some here who were rejected by their fathers some may be mourning their fathers some may even be struggling to forgive their fathers and some others of us of course are thankful to God for our fathers but the fact is that whatever our experiences with the father or fatherhood is we need to define fatherhood by who God is rather than the human fathers that we have encountered psalm 27:10 says this through the Father or' though, excuse me through, though my Father and mother forsake me, the Lord will bear me up. So Jesus wants us to see two wonderful things about our fa- heavenly Father here: the first is that he is available and accessible so matthew seven seven says, "Ask, and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock, and it will be open to you." For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be open. Okay, so we're not over here trying to think that God is distant and we're remote somewhere else, uninterested and disconnected from us. Jesus is showing us that the God who made us is the God who knows us, and the God who had the idea of you is the God who's interested in you. He's not just theoretically around. This God is available for us to pray to. And not just once. Jesus is saying in verse 8 that we are to keep on asking, that we are to keep on knocking, and that we are to keep on seeking. And we do this because our God loves to respond to us. He is a God that is far more willing to hear us in our prayers than we are to offer them. And as well as being accessible, Jesus is showing us that the Father is good. Verse 9. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask? Those were the two staple foods at the time of Jesus. Jesus is saying that if your son needs nourishment, you would provide it for him. And so even if us sinful fathers know how to give good gifts to our kids, then how much more will the perfect father in heaven love to give gifts to us? He's a good God. He loves to provide. He's not irritated when we come to him in need. He's not brooding over us and saying to us, why can't you ever get your life together? No, he loves to be approached by us and he loves to help. So as we think about our Heavenly Father, we need to avoid these two mistakes. Turn to James 4, if you would. James shows us, starting in verse 2, two mistakes that his readers were making about prayer, and I'm sure that we do too. James 4, verse 2. You do not have what you want because you don't ask God for it. So in other words, the mistake we make is that we forget that God loves to give, and so we don't ask. While I was preparing for this, I heard an uh, interesting example about a uh, airline uh, probably about two years ago during Christmas. Um, they set up a big electronic TV in the departure lounge for uh, all the passengers. Who were I think they were going from Toronto to, uh, to New York. And the passengers would go up to the TV screen, and they would ask, Santa Claus, you know, what it was that they wanted most for Christmas. And the passengers did it, and they thought nothing of it. And so they get on the plane flight, and they take the two-hour trip. And when they get there, when they're going down to the baggage claim, instead of their baggage being there on the uh, the little carousel, instead was the gift that they had asked for. And at the uh, initial stop, some people had asked for a big-screen TV. Some of the kids asked for an iPhone or an iPad. One guy asked for underwear and socks. And it was a sweet video. It was probably about just five minutes long. And I sat back and I said, you know what? That is just lovely. And then you think about the guy that asked for the underwear and socks, and you think to yourself, you are an idiot. (laughs) And you're thinking that, and then I realized, you know what, Chris? That is such a picture of your prayer life. How often am I asking... for? For underwear and socks. The other mistake is that we forget to, that God is good, and therefore we are asking him for the wrong things. Verse 3 says, <clears throat> And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. In other words, we're using prayer to try and rubber stamp our agenda for our life. God, this is my plan. Please check it. Provide it. Thank you. And we treat it like room service. If you could just please sort it all out, that'd be great. But because God is good, he doesn't always give us what we want. We don't always know what is good for us. There may be things that our heart are set on, that are even morally good. Things that we think are right. And yet, for the sake of our ultimate goodness, God does not give us what we want. Because he loves us too much. Tim Keller says that God gives us what we would have asked for if we knew what he knows. God is good, and for the sake of our ultimate goodness, he may bruise us in the short term. He doesn't always give us what we want, but he does give us what is good. I saw this so clearly in my own life when I was attempting to get on to the fire department. This may shock you uh, when you see me standing before you, but I am not a shining example of health. I've had uh, several surgical complications during my early childhood that ultimately held up my hiring process. And then once I finally got through that medical background and got hired, I fell flat on my face and failed at what I thought was the career that I was meant to be in. And I was depressed beyond all measure. And I spent a great deal of time in prayer about it. When lo and behold, something amazing happened. During the months between working towards a second chance at the career, I met the most fascinating woman. And I was pulled from the depths that I was at by her. And so I made sure to quickly propose and marry her. And in retrospect, she's been the most incredible thing that has ever happened in my life. And it happened in the midst of something that I would never have wanted or prayed for. I've sat back and I've wondered if this would have happened outside of God's timing. Whether or not Vivian and I would have met at some other time and some other way. Who knows? It really doesn't matter. Because we didn't. We meant exactly how and when God had purpose for us. And I couldn't imagine being married to a more credible person. I'm not proud of failing at anything. But I do have a calming reassurance that this was what God had in mind. And I don't know how that experience has or will shape me or my career. But I'm absolutely confident that it was exactly what God had wanted for me. So as we're finishing up, as we pray... Every time we pray, we are praying by the Spirit. It is the Spirit who prompts us to call him Father. It is the Spirit who comes alongside us to help us pray. And as we pray, we pray through the Son. We now have the gift of sonship through him. We now have a relationship that's been opened to include us. And now we can pray in his name. We can now approach the Father at the Son's level. And as we do that, we are coming to a Father who is incomprehensibly good to us, a father who loves to hear us pray, a father who is always there for us, who is never unavailable, and a father who is more dedicated to your goodness than you are. So now, let's pray as we finish. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for uh, our time together chance to learn about you and the Trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the chance to learn about the Holy Spirit who helps us to pray, who comes alongside us and gives us words when we don't know what to pray for, who helps us in the midst of our despair, in the midst of our triumphs, the Holy Spirit who comes alongside us. And we pray through the Son and his work on the cross, and not through our own works, but his work on the cross. Are we able to come to you We're able to come to you, the Father, the one who created us, the one who loves to hear us pray, the one who wants to have a relationship with us. Lord, thank you so much for the chance to go through your word and learn so much more about you, Lord. I pray that this time shapes how we pray. I pray that it helps us more consistent with our prayer life and just challenges us all to come to you, Lord, to always come to you, because you want to hear our prayers, Lord. Thank you so much in your heavenly, or in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.